This is Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a series-based podcast focusing on surgical and medical education and featuring expert interviews and practice-changing discussion. Our host is Dr. Kara King, a member of the Cleveland Clinic's section of minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. Dr. King is also the director of benign gynecologic surgery and associate program director of the Cleveland Clinic's MIGS Fellowship. This podcast is a collaboration between MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons. We'll be right back after this message. This podcast is made possible by Boston Scientific. To learn more about Boston Scientific, please visit bostonscientific.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the featured clinicians and do not necessarily reflect the views of Boston Scientific. So I am thrilled to have Dr. Megan Evans back on Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. It is so good to see your face again, Dr. Evans. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And as you guys all know, Dr. Evans is coming to us from Tufts Medical Center out in Boston, and she is our advocacy and policy expert. And for this series, Dr. Evans will be focusing on the topic of graduate medical education. So Dr. Evans, with that intro, talk to us. What is happening legislatively within the GME? Well, there are some bills that are making their way through Congress that specifically focus on expanding GME and increasing funding for GME. But I think before we talk about specifically about those bills, it's important to understand where GME funding comes from, what's the history of it, and why it's so important to protect it and expand it. So support for residents predominantly comes from CMS, also known as the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And they began support of residents back in 1965. Now, the cost of resident support is a huge component of what the federal government spends on the healthcare workforce. So looking specifically at the expenditures of health and human services, it's about three quarters of all of their expenditures. And looking back at 2015, the federal government spent about $16 billion on supporting medical residencies which understandably makes it an attractive policy to potentially cut to save money. So looking at areas where there could be cost savings, sometimes policymakers look towards GME. Absolutely. That's a, it's a, an astronomical amount of money. I can imagine that it'd be definitely something that they'd be looking at to cut if possible. And the federal government supports graduate medical education typically in three ways. So one is what I just talked about through payments made by Medicare and Medicaid programs through the Department of Veteran Affairs and the Department of Defense. So medical residents who are receiving their training specifically through Veteran Affairs will get most of their salary through the VA. And then lastly, through programs funded by the Department of HHS, which stands for Health and Human Services. And they support mainly primary care training in outpatient facilities, rural programs, and really trying to focus on areas that have unfortunately disproportionate uh, of either low income or patients in areas where they don't have a lot of access to health care. So in regard to the number of residency training positions that are actually available, do those ebb and flow every year? Like if, if a training program has more cases, you know, this year, can they get an extra resident or two the following year? How, how do those resident numbers work? Yeah, so it's a good question. It's a really interesting process that's happened and has kind of led us to the place where we are right now, where there's a big concern about shortage areas with healthcare. 
the obviously the population is aging and, and even in OBGYN, we're going to have a huge physician deficit and OBGYN shortage in the near future. So initially, Medicare left support open-ended, whether they would pay for additional full-time residents that hospitals trained, and it would ebb and flow pretty freely. However, in 1997, there were some GME stakeholders who released a consensus statement that they thought that the United States was on the verge of an oversupply of physicians, and they actually recommended to the federal government that they should limit the amount of GME positions that the federal government paid for. This act called the Balanced Budget Act was passed, and essentially it put a cap on levels at the 1996 level for both allopathic and osteopathic residency counts for teaching hospitals. What's interesting is that that cap has essentially remained unchanged since 1996. So it's been over 20 years since that law was passed, and there have essentially been very little increase in GME funding and residency spots for hospitals. Now, if a new hospital opens or a hospital that didn't have a residency program and now they do, they can apply for GME funding. But the hospital that you and I both work at, essentially it's capped for how many additional residents, if at all, we can get. Wow. So you're saying that despite the shortage of physicians and despite us putting more medical students through medical school and getting medical degrees, the number of residencies is capped. So despite all the need for more physicians, the residencies are currently capped at the 1996 level. That's right. And so these Medicare caps can make it incredibly difficult to increase residency spots, even residency spots that are very much needed, depending on the region, the field. Uh, This law in 1997 prevents really us from increasing uh, residency spots around the country. Got it. Now, specifically for... OBGYNs, there's essentially been no annual increase in the number of OBGYNs since 1980, even though the population of women in the United States has increased 26% since 1980 and will grow to 36% by 2050. Half of our U.S. counties don't have an OBGYN, and almost 9.5 million Americans live in those counties. Which has severe impact on maternal mortality, I'm sure. I mean, we don't have access to an OBGYN. I mean... That's, that's really dangerous, and that's right here in the United States. So that's, that's pretty remarkable. Right. And then the OBGYN shortage is, it's obviously hard to predict. There are a lot of factors that go into these numbers, but it's expected to range from anywhere between 3,000 to 9,000 by 2030. So, you know, without sufficient Medicare funding for graduate medical education, and specifically in our field, in OBGYN, residency programs can't grow, and in some situations, they might actually have to close. And then other residency programs and other hospitals could be overwhelmed with service obligations. So obviously, this is a major issue, especially with the inability to expand GME-funded residency slots. Now, when the Affordable Care Act passed, they did try to address some of these issues, and they did that by specifically stating in the bill that if a hospital closed that had a residency program, those residency spots could be redistributed to other programs that might need it. So they didn't just evaporate and disappear. They could go specifically to programs that had a need for additional spots. 
And then 30% of the unfilled slots uh, would go to teaching hospitals, specifically within the top 10 states with primary care shortage areas and in rural areas. So is this what happened recently at the University Hospital in Philadelphia? So when their program recently closed this past summer, I know that their residents transferred out. We, we received one of the residents here in our OBGYN program. So does that mean that, that their Medicare funding transferred to us? Is that how that works? Likely. So that those spots should not dissolve, so they should be transferred to other hospitals. I don't know all the nuances of when a program closes and they're transferred, but this essentially ensures that those spots don't disappear, that they're um, redistributed to somewhere with a greater need. And those numbers are maintained. I see. So we talked about OBGYN shortage, which, again, difficult to to know, but by 2030, 3,000 to 9,000. Now, overall physician shortage could be anywhere between 40,000 to 105,000 physicians by 2030. And residents are such an integral part of the care that we provide. So they provide 40% of what we call charity care. They care for one out of five every hospitalized patient. And we know that teaching hospitals deliver 20% of all hospital care, providing for seniors, veterans, and patients specifically in underserved communities. So residents are so, so important to the structure of how our medical system works and the patients that we take care of. GME funding is critical to how our medicine is practiced in this country. I think the hard part now is that medical schools continue to increase enrollment. So we're seeing new medical schools pop up. We're seeing medical schools that are increasing how many students they take every year, but we're not seeing an increase in residency spots around the country. And, you know, that's not only detrimental to the future of healthcare and how our patients access care everywhere in urban areas, rural areas, but it's also a detriment to the students who are putting in a lot of money and time and potentially are, will not have a residency spot. And this is a problem year after year, and it's only getting worse because those medical students that don't match go back into the same pool, and that pool is getting bigger and bigger to try to fill the same number of residency spots every year. Wow. Yeah, I recently read a statistic that since 2002, residency positions have increased by 1% a year as compared to a 52% growth in medical school spots. So exactly what you said, and I didn't really think about the people who didn't match going back into the pool. So the pool that's already, you know, really shifted to being short is even worse every single year. So this is, right. this is, this is actually a very huge problem that right. we need to deal exactly. with. Yeah. There is some legislation right now. It's both in the Senate and the House. It's called the Resident Physician Shortage Reduction Act of 2019. So the Senate bill is number 348, and the House bill is H.R. 1763. So this bill would add a total of 15,000 residency slots over five years. Um, It increases the number of residency positions eligible for graduate medical education payments under Medicare for qualifying hospitals. And essentially, the goal is to have 3,000 additional positions each year for five years. 
of those, this is you know an important component. And obviously, what we're seeing is that there's a big shortage of primary care physicians. So at least 1,500, so half of those physicians every year, need to go to shortage specialty residency programs. So that could include potentially family medicine, internal medicine, more likely primary care specialties, and likely OBGYN is part of that group as well. The sponsor in the Senate is Senator Robert Menendez from New Jersey, and I just checked yesterday, they currently have 17 co-sponsors, and that was referred to the Committee on Finance. I know last podcast we talked about which committees were important when it came to healthcare. Finance is not the most common that we think about with healthcare, but certainly does review healthcare issues. And then in the House, it was introduced by Representative Terry Swell from Alabama, who's a Democrat. Uh, and this was referred to the Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce and the Subcommittee on Health. And that has 171 co-sponsors. So the nice part about this bill is it's bipartisan. So it has both Republican and Democrat support and bicameral. So there's a version in both the House and the Senate. So definitely an important bill. This is a critical issue that we should all get behind and call our representatives and make sure they're co-sponsors and ask what we can do as physicians to help move this bill along. So that was my exact next question is, so how can we help push this along? So again, people who aren't as savvy as you are in regard to policy work, what tangible thing can we do ourselves to help push this along? So, you know, I I would get to know the bill. And if you go to congress.gov and you type in either S348 or HR1763, it'll pull up text of the bill. You can see if you're, you can click on the link co-sponsor and see if your representative is a co-sponsor. If they are a co-sponsor, that's great. You can still call their office and thank you for being a co-sponsor. I'm a physician. This is incredibly important for these reasons, Uh, you know, especially talking about patient care, patient health care access, and why um, this is really concerning given the physician shortage that we're likely going to experience in the next five to 10 years. And then ask them, what can I do to help um, get this bill out of committee and onto the Senate or the House floor for a vote? If your representative is not a sponsor, then there's even more opportunity to call them, ask to speak to their health legislative aide, explain who you are, why this is important, and Again, ask, you know, I would really appreciate if Representative X, Y, or Z, your senator, um, your senator would be a sponsor of this bill. Awesome. Really great tips. And what we'll do is we'll put all of those tips and those websites in our show notes. So everyone who's listening, if you want to reference those, we'll have all those listed. So you can just quickly click on those links and those bills that Dr. Evans just spoke about and do our part. Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, so much for your insight on this huge problem within GME CAPS and the physician shortage. Um, We really appreciate your time, and I'm hoping that everybody checks our show notes, logs in, and helps push this bill forward because it's really important for all of us. So thanks again for your time. We appreciate it. We'll be right back after this message. Today's episode is brought to you by MedJobNetwork.com. Ready to start your career in your dream location? Looking to expand your skills in a dynamic new practice setting? Start your search today at MedJobNetwork.com. MedJobNetwork.com sorts thousands of physician job opportunities in every specialty and all 50 states. Visit us once, create a profile, then let our technology bring the right jobs to you. There's no need to search again and again. MedJobNetwork.com does all the work for you. It's time to take that next step. There's a great new career opportunity waiting for you at MedJobNetwork.com. 
And that's all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. From all of us at MD Edge and the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening.